With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You remember last year's AP poll when that came out and how much of an impact that had on the 2022 season? Exactly. Me neither. Welcome into the Hard Count. We talk college football and college football only here on this very platform. There is a lot of y'all that are new to the show. Welcome. You found your spot for all things college football. You've got a lot on your plate right now. It is Tuesday, August 8th, 2023. You're probably getting back to school, maybe. The job's ramping back up. Maybe you got something going on at home. Maybe you got something going on personally. Relax. Big deep breath, big exhale, because we're just about college football, and we're 18 days away from the beautiful thing that is the college football season. We have a ton to jump into, as we always do on this wonderful show that is the Hard Count on the wonderful platform that is the On3 YouTube channel. We're going to talk about some camp intel. There was a fight that broke out at LSU Tiger Fall Camp the other day. And it wasn't like a good fight. It wasn't one of those things where you mix it up and you feel good afterwards. It's like, man, that's the juices we needed flowing. A little bit more to that story. We'll break that down. Also, fall camp intel from USC, from Georgia, from Florida State. Stay tuned. Got a lot to unpack there. Also, we did a segment on a previous live show. What are the sneaky games in this 2023 college football season? Notice, we said sneaky. We did not say what are the big-time matchups. We did not say what is that game that college game day is going to be at, and we make sure that we're at what is the game that you're turning through the channels and you take a look at the ticker, and it's like, whoa, 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 third quarter, what's the score of that game? What's going on with Duke against Florida State? What's going on in those games? We'll break that down, and I want to make sure that we're all ahead of the curve there. We're going to talk about some of the games in the latter half of the season, so that should be a lot of fun. Also, if you're not yet following me on the social channels, at J.D. Piquel on Twitter and on Instagram, I would encourage you to do so because we like to involve y'all in the show as much as possible. We think of ourselves here as like a college football community. And so we got some great answers from y'all on my question. What are your most surprising college football headlines? What is going to happen between week zero and the end of rivalry weekend that brings us a headline where we're like, whoa, did not see that one coming. Got a lot of great answers from y'all, both on my Twitter page and on Instagram. We're going to break down some of those. And then Josh Newberg. One of the national recruiting analysts for us here at On3, host of the Inside Scoop, which is also on this very platform, breaks down the latest on five-star edge Colin Simmons. It's down to Texas, LSU, Miami, three hats on the table. Where do they stand right now? Josh is going to break that down for us. Should be a real good time. Appreciate everybody tuned in live. Like I said, if you're new here, you have found your spot for college football and only college football, okay? You love this sport. We love this sport. We're not going to talk about all the extra stuff. We're not into appetizers and sides. We're just talking about the entree. All right? Again, appreciate you being tuned in live. Like the video if you're here right now. And let's just jump right into it, man. We can't waste too much more time because fall camp is on and popping. Let's whip around the country here a little bit. And there is no better place to start than Tuscaloosa, Alabama. A lot of opinions right now on Nick Saban, the new coordinators who's playing quarterback. They run that ship a lot like Fort Knox. Not a lot gets out of there. But for the good people at Bama Online, get a membership there because they're going to keep you as much in the know as possible. Talk to some people close to that operation yesterday. And there is a feeling in-house thus far through fall camp 
that the approach on the offensive line is one of the more physical units they've had in a minute. Caden Proctor, if you remember that name, he's a five-star offensive tackle that Alabama flipped before signing day from Iowa to Bama. They said he's making some noise. Now, how does he factor into the rotation this coming season? Still TBD, very, very early, but they like a lot what they have seen from him. This offensive line, if you've watched this show for any period of time, you know, I wholeheartedly believe that is going to be the engine behind this offense. I'll talk about the quarterback. That's fine. We're going to figure out who that guy is eventually. But this is going to be what steers the ship for the Crimson Tide. I think Tyler Booker put it perfectly when he said, we want to make people quit. Like that is the mantra. That is the thought process for Alabama offensively this coming season. Now, with great power on the offensive line comes great responsibility in the pass game. Shout out to Uncle Ben. That's basically what he was telling Peter Parker because they feel like they have a chance now with how much they're going to run the football and how much they force those safeties to commit to the run game. They're going to have a chance now for more deep shots than they've had in a minute there in Tuscaloosa. So with that being said, where's the wide receiver room at? There's good news and there's bad news. The way that we do it around here, we try to start with the bad news first. And the bad news is there has been far too many drops to this point within that wide receiver room. Okay, so you got to get consistent there. The good news is, and there's a couple pieces to this good news, the good news in relation to that bad news is you can work on that. You can get on the jugs machine. You can get with these quarterbacks, and that's something that's fixable. The real good news, though, is you have a ton of speed in that wide receiver room. Malik Benson is a JUCO wide receiver that transferred to Alabama. Pretty much everybody wanted him. He is thought to be the wide receiver one coming into this season he's got great speed he's got great size you saw him put on a clinic in the a day like he's going to be a guy they depend on this coming year and they have been very impressed with him to this point now defensively it's it's tough to take a ton away at this point because the pads haven't really started popping yet we don't have a ton of like scrimmage intel for you right now but Tresman Marshall transferred from Georgia to Alabama they said he looks the part when we talked to Dallas Turner at Media Days, he was talking about Tresman Marshall kind of being that experienced presence at the linebacker position. They also are feeling pretty good about Deontay Lawson. They think he looks good out there so far. And so when I, the reason why I talk about the linebacker group, anytime you talk about Alabama historically, like the, those teams that went and played for national titles and won the SEC, you think about those linebacker units, I mean, they were just bullies. Like, like that was the heart and soul of the defense. Now, you have to have the defensive line to go with it, and I think Alabama will, but having this linebacking group have good returns at this point I think is encouraging for Alabama as a whole. I think when you talk about the buzz around fall camp, that's usually what I like to get the best pulse for when I talk to these people close to their operations, close to their respective programs. The buzz at Alabama, from what I've heard, is very much so all business. And there's some degree that says, well, okay, that, that probably is true because Nick Saban is, you know, process, process oriented. We're keeping everything internal, not worried about the external. So I'm sure that they hear a lot of the external noise about what Bama's not going to be and they're falling off and Saban this and Saban that. But I think if you're not going to let yourself be affected by the rat poison, the good stuff, you got to take that same approach to the negative stuff. So for Saban and Alabama right now, they're a team that I think is is very much so we're going to learn about come Texas. A lot of talk about that quarterback position. I wholeheartedly believe you should let this thing go until week two, until that game against Texas. Because first week of the year, you got Middle Tennessee. Play whoever you want. Play all three of these guys. Heck, play some freshmen because you know what that does? The more data you can get on these guys, it probably helps you evaluate them. 
Also, it keeps Texas from being able to focus their game plan on one quarterback. Bama right now, they can game plan for Quinn Ewers. They know without a shadow of a doubt, he's going to be QB1 for Texas. Texas can't say the same about Bama. So something to keep an eye on. That's kind of the vibe right now at Tuscaloosa. We will obviously keep you in the know as we go forward. Let's go out to the West Coast now. USC, last year in the Pac-12, head of the Big Ten next year. The thing with them that I think is probably most encouraging for USC fans is whenever you talk to people that have seen practice thus far, there is a very real sense that this, this eye test at USC, just the, 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 the sheer size and strength that you're seeing on the field right now from USC, is very, very different than what they've had in the past. Like, this is now the first full year they've had under their director of sports nutrition, Rachel Suba. She's done a great job there so far. And everyone says this during fall camp. Everyone says, wow, they won the winter. Wow, they've looked so much bigger than last year. And some of this you kind of take with a grain of salt. But I'll tell you this. I have friends that played for USC in previous years. I have friends that were actually within that locker room and and were with the previous nutrition plan. And they told me straight up, they're like, listen, man, we have friends that have transferred to other schools transfer to schools in the SEC, transfer to schools in the, in the ACC. What we get fed at USC, it's not bad, but it is nowhere near on par with some of those other schools. So to hear that the nutrition program now has taken some strides and the weight program is matching that and they're seeing those real gains and looking different in the trenches, I think USC fans are very encouraged to hear that because they know defensively that is going to be the bread and butter. you got to stop the run this coming season. Did a lot through the transfer portal. Bear Alexander, Anthony Lucas, Jack Sullivan are transferred from Purdue. They feel like this defensive line is just different. I mean, it's just head and shoulders better than it was a season ago. We'll see what happens when we start playing games. But they're, they're very excited about where they stand with those guys from what they got in the transfer portal. Now, speaking of the transfer portal, they also love Marshawn Lloyd. Marshawn Lloyd transferred from USC, the other USC, University of South Carolina, to Southern Cal. And he was a dude that was banged up a little bit last year. But I'm telling you, he was a dude that contributed a lot for South Carolina when he was healthy. He's a really strong back, gets downhill. And there's a feeling that he can be for USC this coming season, what Travis Dye was for them a season ago. So expect him to step in there with Austin Jones. And I think they will be a pretty lethal one-two punch at the running back position. Now, fall camp, you also wonder, how are the young guys adjusting? Are the young guys making some noise? Are those true freshmen going to get any burn at all? Well, We've talked about him a fair amount on this show if you've been tuned in. Zach Branch, true freshman wide receiver from Bishop Gorman. Every single person you talk to around USC says the exact same thing. Dude is built for this. Dude has picked up on the speed of the game extremely quickly. He's got tons of energy. He's got tons of ability. Like He will contribute for USC in a very real way this coming season. Now, is he a guy that has 100 catches and over 1,000 yards? Like We'll see. But I promise you, he will make a lot of plays for them this coming season, whether he's on special teams, whether it's picking up a critical first down. He's going to be a guy that I think sees a lot of action in the slot. So watch out for him and his just big playability. He was a top five player for us here in the 2023 cycle. So that should say something. Braylon Shelby and Sam Green, two players in the defensive line that they think are going to play for them this coming season. I mean, you add them to the mix with the other transfer portal ads they have on the defensive line. They have made a very conscious effort now to be better in the trenches. And this was, I think, the most interesting thing that I heard from from USC practice. There is a very real score being kept across fall camp. I mean, fall camps across the country. You finish a practice and you kind of have a feel like, hey, defense won that one. Or, hey, offense had their way today. 
the feeling at USC is that the defense won the last two practices. Let that sink in. The offense with Caleb Williams and with all the freak show wide receivers they have and the running backs I just told you about, the feeling is the defense won the last two. So from a USC fan, that's really encouraging. The buzz around USC last year was optimism. Hey, we got a new quarterback. Hey, Lincoln Riley's here. We're going to score some points. We're going to have our way in the Pac-12. A lot of optimism. This year, it's a lot more quiet. And quiet, in my mind, equals confidence. Like, they don't have to talk about what they're going to do. You already saw what they're going to do. Caleb Williams got a Heisman Trophy sitting up by his bed right now in his Los Angeles apartment. Like, you know what they're capable of. And USC feels like they have very much so everything they want to accomplish in front of them. And they have all the pieces to get it done. So USC now, they're going to be a team to be reckoned with. Obviously, all good returns so far right now out of fall camp. Now, let's go to the ACC and they're in the ACC for now. And we talked to some people over at War Chant. Get your membership at War Chant. They do a phenomenal job of keeping the know for all things Florida State. The buzz around them right now is it is a very professional feel. Which, if I'm a Florida State fan, that encourages me. Because my question going into the year is, okay, the spotlight is bright now. You won 10 ballgames in 2022. Haven't had this much excitement in the Mike Norvell era at Florida State. Like, how are they going to respond? And to hear they're just taking it one day at a time. Very much so about their business. Transfers are meshing well. We'll talk about them here in a second. That tells me this team's psyche to this point in fall camp is in the right place to accomplish what they want to accomplish in 2023. A, a guy that's name has stuck out in a very big way so far, Keon Coleman. I talked to somebody close to Florida State, and they said, listen, I knew Keon Coleman was good. We knew Keon Coleman was going to be a player for us here at Florida State. But from what he's done so far during fall camp, they said he is just a different level right now. Johnny Wilson has also had a good fall camp. There are some murmurs and some feelings that Keon Coleman could potentially be the bell cow for them in the past game. Like, they love what he's done so far. He had multiple big-time catches. Like, he had a 60-yarder the other day. Uh, he's, he's eating. He's eating greedy. So, to have a guy like him meshing so well at this point in fall camp, someone else told me, like, hey, listen, if I didn't know that Keon Coleman was a transfer, I would never have known. I would never have known he hadn't been with this team for three years. To have that talent hit the ground running, to not get spring football, and to have him fitting so well, like that is very, very good news for the people in Tallahassee. Jordan Travis, got to talk about the quarterback with what he's going to be this coming season. And the biggest note on him is he just looks really in control. Like, I don't have a ton of questions about his physical ability. Can he make the throw? Is he going to be a good athlete? Like, we already know that. We already saw that last year. That, there's no question marks there. The question is, how does he handle, like we said with the team, how does he handle the pressure and how does he handle all the buzz around Florida State? There were some people last year that felt like maybe Jordan Travis, when push came to shove and things weren't going Florida State's way, he's a competitor, he's going to get fired up, he's going to show some emotion, and from your quarterback, you don't necessarily want to have negative emotion come out. And so, so, th so far through fall camp, he's been very steady and they've seen a certain energy from him to where everyone knows hey we got a chance because we got Jordan Travis not a thing where we're rising and falling with Jordan Travis and, and how he's reacting to things there was one play that I think Jared Verse just blew up the other day during a team drill and instead of being frustrated with blocking or frustrated with a wide receiver or whatever it was Jordan Travis very cool calm collected 
Next play. Let's roll. Here we go. You need that from your leader. I'm excited to see Jordan Travis do that this coming season because the ability is not a question. I don't even have a question about the, the mental response to things. I just think that's the next step you take as a leader of a big-time college football team, which Florida State is going to be. Talking about some transfers, Fenshaw Cypress was a guy that transferred from Virginia, all ACC caliber kind of cornerback. They expect him to contribute this coming season. During spring, sounds like he showed some good signs. He did some good things, but he just looks much more comfortable now having 15 practices under his belt from the spring, now having a, a full off season with Florida State, now getting into fall camp. Like they, They're really encouraged about his progress so far. He's going to be a guy they depend on this coming season. Uh, they're excited about the defensive line play. Jared Verse, I mean, you know what he is. There's no question about Jared Verse. They're optimistic about Daryl Jackson, transfer from Miami, being able to play for them this coming year. We'll see what happens there. But they just feel really good about where they are from a depth standpoint and a talent standpoint. We talk about it a lot. College football, emphatically a line of scrimmage game, especially when you get into November and guys are banged up. And when you get into, you know, the postseason, those conference title games, the college football playoff, like that that is what decides games. So Florida State feels like when they get to that point in the year, they're set up for success. The entire feel when it comes to what they want to accomplish in 2023, they feel confident because of the culture that has now had some 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 time to solidify. Like you had a lot of guys do a lot of really good things last year. And the unfortunate reality in college football is whenever you have a really good season, typically those upperclassmen go to the NFL. That's not the case for Florida State. They had a lot of guys that were younger last year that are still in that roster that are going to step into more of leadership roles this coming season. They've been really impressed so far with the way they've upheld that culture. Like the older guys are showing the younger guys how to do it and then holding that standard up here. So all in all, it's only a few days in the fall camp, but they're very excited about where things stand right now for Florida State as it pertains to those few practices. Now, let's talk about the top dog, pun intended, the Georgia Bulldogs. Fall camp is rolling. Pretty similar operation to Alabama in the sense that you're not going to get a ton of insight into what's actually going on in-house, but we got some really great notes. If you haven't yet got a membership at Dogs HQ, would encourage you to do so. A lot of really more uh, in-depth notes on what we're about to talk about right here that they have online there. But Dominique Lovett, transfer wide receiver, sounds like he's going to start in the slot from what we've heard. I mean, he has been electric all fall camp. He's one of those guys that... When, you, when you're going through fall camp notes, you're trying to kind of sift through, okay, what's real, what's kind of just a, you know, a, a passing note. Dominique Lovett, his name continues to get brought up. And in the world of fall camp notes, frequency, I think is what we should really pay attention to. Dominique Lovett gets talked about, it seems like every single fall camp report you look into with Georgia. So with him and Carson Beck now likely being that starting quarterback, you would imagine, they're going to have a vertical element to this offense that I don't know they really have had consistently at Georgia the last couple of years. Now, Stetson Bennett is a dog, Heisman finalist. We know this, but to add another weapon like Dominic Lovett and to have Brock Bowers and to have another year of Ladd McConkey, like I'm very curious to see what this offense looks like passing-wise under Mike Bobo. Now, there's a battle at left tackle going on. You got Austin Blasky, who they feel like is maybe a little bit ahead in the pass pro side of things. And you got Ernest Green, and they love what he brings in the run game. There's a feeling that that battle is going to wear on for a while and kind of let, let itself 
sort itself out, if you will. But those two guys are going back and forth left tackle position because the rest of the offensive line you feel pretty good about if you're a Georgia Bulldog fan. Uh, in terms of some young bucks, five-star linebacker Raylan Wilson, his name keeps getting brought up. His name got brought up a lot leading into fall camp. Uh, his instincts, his athleticism, they feel like he's going to be a weapon for them at some point in time at Georgia. I'm curious to see how much burn he ends up getting when it comes to scrimmages and, and what group he's running with. Now, Justin Rett, four-star corner, six foot, 190 pounds. He has been a name that has gotten a ton of traction so far during fall camp. Like if you if you followed any social media accounts pertaining to Georgia football, you've seen pictures of practice and you see Justin Rett. Dude looks like a grown man. He does not look like a true freshman. And I'm excited to see how he factors in because the early enrollee piece is part of it. Like he's gotten some experience now during spring football, but also he played his high school football at Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, Nevada. And those of y'all that follow high school football closely, you know, Bishop Gorman, they are one of the big dogs nationally when it comes to the high school level. Like he's played with and against some of the top talent. So I think from a adjustment style to the collegiate game, there's always going to be that for a true freshman, but you wonder how far ahead he is than the average bear. But Justin, they've been excited about him and I'm curious to see what he does when it comes to those scrimmages. They've been very encouraged with him, uh, especially in those practices where you just have shoulder pads on. They feel like he's really trending the right way. So wouldn't you know it, Georgia has recruited top talent and they're looking good in fall camp. So Kirby Smart doing what Kirby Smart does. Now, LSU probably made the most headlines when it comes to fall camp. They had a big old fight. The headline was, and there, there was no video of it, but the headline was fight breaks out at LSU during fall camp. And the, the gut reaction from the football crowd, and I felt the exact same way until I talked to people closer to that situation, is, okay, good. Good. Competitive juices are flowing. That's what you want to see during fall camp. You want good on good. Iron sharpens iron. You want that competitiveness to bubble over until we got a little skirmish breaking out. Good. Because you go back to, oh, what well, was Joe Burrow and Patrick Queen, and they fought, and then they won a national title. This is not that same thing. Typically, a fight in practice is about 30 seconds, maybe a minute, and then you get broken up. Someone steps in between. A big lineman says, nope, we're not doing this anymore. Skill players, y'all go back to your side of the football. Let's go and run it back. This was not that. This was a four to five minute, like 20 on 20 from what I understand, like full team just going back and forth. For a fight to go on for four to five minutes, that goes past the, oh, this is competitive juices flowing. This is like, hey, we got to be disciplined. And Brian Kelly, it sounds like, was really upset with the way that this thing was handled. He was upset it wasn't broken up earlier. He was more upset with his team because they've had other fights internally, it sounds like, according to, to Mason Taylor. like They've had a couple of fights here leading into this. And for this to bubble over and to go for an extended period of time, you had Malik Neighbors and Kyron Lacey that were told to go back to the locker room. You had Harold Perkins, who didn't take a snap the rest of the day. Like This was not a positive fight. This was a fight where it's like, hey, get control of yourself. Have some discipline. If we're fighting each other right now in fall camp, What's going to happen that first week of the season? You play Florida State, someone says something to you, you pop off, you lose a 15-yard penalty. Like, what happens then? It's about discipline. It's about culture. It's about standards. And a lot of people are going to, again, see this headline and say, oh, man, forget about that. It's just football. I'm a football guy. People are just being soft in the media. Like, you don't think Brian Kelly's a football guy? <laughs> you don't think Brian Kelly's seen his fair amount of healthy fights, healthy competition within his team? Promise you he has. Brian Kelly coached a lot of football. And for him to be upset about this, I think that says everything we need to know about the 
the, the feeling right now as it pertains to that fight at LSU. And so for Brian Kelly and company, I think this really can be a fork in the road. He told him, he's like, if we want to act like this, if we want to be undisciplined, y'all will win a game and lose a game for everyone you win. You'll be a 500 team if that's how you want to act. But going back to that fork in the road, this can be that moment where you look in the mirror and say, what are we doing? We are way too talented to let practice go off the rails like this. So now you look to your leaders. I'm curious to see what the rest of the intel is out of LSU. Go and get a membership to Bengal Tiger on three to stay with everything LSU, Shea Dixon and company are doing an absolutely phenomenal job over there. But yeah, I'm curious to see what practice is like the rest of the way. Because before that, it sounded like things were running really smoothly. It sounded like they were just feeling a lot more of a what to, they feel a lot more like they know what to expect from fall camp now having had one year under the the belt with Brian Kelly. Zy Alexander, transfer corner. Remember, they took a bunch of transfer cornerbacks. They feel like he might be the best one. They said he looks really good so far, and he's transferring from the FCS level up to the SEC, and he's hit the ground running. The quarterbacks both look great. Jaden Daniels, probably the best dual-threat quarterback in the country, not named Caleb Williams, but they really feel like Garrett Nussmeyer. I mean, I talked to somebody that watched practice the other day. They said Garrett Nussmeyer made some throws where you just go, All right, now, there's a lot of programs across the country that would give their left arm and the L2 on their kickoff unit to have Garrett Nussmeyer as their starting quarterback. So he's dropping jaws right now at fall camp. You feel pretty good about where you stand having a one-two punch at quarterback when it comes to that point. So they're figuring it out. They're getting things rolling now. They feel a lot better about where they were going into this season than they did last season trying to figure it out on the fly. So LSU, fork in the road moment. I don't think the fight is anything to be overly concerned about, but it's definitely still a big thing to watch as we get into the rest of fall camp. Appreciate everybody tuned in live, man. You could like the video. That would be phenomenal. And quick shout out to everyone listening on podcast. If you can make it live, we love you. And you are a part of this operation in real time. And you're able to get your questions answered in real time. But if you're listening on the podcast, man, hey, we get it. We get it. You're, you got to do carpool. You got to do walking the dog. You probably have something else going on at your job. Like if you're listening on podcast, we appreciate you being a part of this. You can find us on Apple and on Spotify. Very important to note here. Next week, you've come to know this show as a Tuesday, Thursday operation, live 11 a.m. Eastern, all that. We appreciate it. Next week, we are starting not one, not two, but three shows a week. It's going to be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I can't freaking wait because going live is really my favorite part of this whole operation, being able to interact with y'all in real time and have this community get built up. So thank you in advance for being locked in. Thank you in advance for subscribing. There is no more time to miss shows because college football season is here. They put out the AP poll. I'm not going to waste our time talking about that because the AP poll, in my humble opinion, doesn't have a ton of impact on what we're going to talk about the rest of the season. But even so, thank you for being tuned in. Thank you for subscribing. Roll party roll. All right. The beautiful part about college football season being less than 20 days away is we get to actually talk about college football games. We get to take an actual look at this schedule, what we got on the docket, and some games that we should really pay attention to. If you watched our previous live shows, you know that we did a sneaky game segment and we approached it saying, okay, let's take a look at where all the sneaky games are on the schedule. We got through like the first month of the season. And we had four or five games for you. So wanted to pick up where we left off there. Sneaky Games Volume 2. Want to make sure we mention this off the top, though. These are not upset predictions. And these are not the games that College Game Day is going to be at or Big Noon Kickoff's going to be at. These are the matchups that maybe you don't have a ton of attention paid to going into the week. 
But when it comes to Saturday afternoon, you're like, whoa, 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 what's the score? What channel is that on? Flip it to that channel right now because that's a good game. So week eight is where I want to start. And you got Duke going to Florida State. And this is homecoming of Florida State. And my question here is how does Florida State handle a sleepy October? Because they have a bye week the last weekend of September. And they have Virginia Tech at home. And they got Syracuse at home. It is very difficult as a football team to downshift competitively and then get back to where you need to be at to beat top teams in the country. Now, I'm not calling Duke a top team in the country. Florida State, from a roster standpoint, should wipe the floor with Duke. There's no way around that. But if Florida State wants to walk out on homecoming and not really have their head all the way in the game and they're not really used to playing this kind of competition the last couple of weeks, Duke has a quarterback that you've probably heard a lot about in NFL draft circles, Riley Leonard. Some people think he's the best NFL draft prospect of the quarterbacks going to be in the draft next year, not named Caleb Williams or Drake May. The bottom line is the dude can play and the offense can score points. They scored 32 points a game last year. They have 82% of that offense back. Riley Leonard also a dual threat quarterback. So there's that whole other element you have to defend if you're Florida State. I'm just curious how Florida State reacts to this kind of competition. Okay, because again, having to play Virginia Tech and Syracuse the weeks before, like that doesn't really rev the engine too much if Florida State doesn't take Duke seriously this will be a very real game in the fourth quarter now if they handle business and and they you know put this thing to rest early whole other conversation but I'm very very curious to watch that game again a sneaky game week eight make sure you're locked into that one now let's go all the way to week 10 and we got Penn State at Maryland Maryland now they gave a couple of teams some scares last year It took Ohio State four quarters to beat them the week before the Michigan game. And it took Michigan four quarters to beat them. I mean, it was a one-score game is what it finished at. It was 34-27 for Penn State. Now, here's the interesting thing. Penn State goes to College Park, Maryland the week before they play Michigan. So much buzz around Happy Valley right now for good reason. Ton of super sophomores. You got Nick Singleton. You have Katron Allen. You got Abdul Carter. You got Drew Aller, who is the main reason for optimism in Happy Valley. Ton of buzz, ton of excitement. The question is can they beat Ohio State? Can they beat Michigan? The week before Michigan, you got to go on the road and play a team like Maryland that has proven historically they are feisty. Maybe not against Penn State, but against other teams, they are feisty. And the thing with them, too, they have a dynamic quarterback in Talia Tagavailoa. Anytime you have a dual threat quarterback that can move and shake the way that he does, that adds an extra burden to the defense, not just to scheme for it, but I mean when the play breaks down and Talia Tagovailoa breaks contain and he's rolling out right and it's basically a brand new play. You might have had the right play drawn up for what Maryland was running before, but that whole play is dead. It's broken. Now we got Talia Tagovailoa playing backyard football with you. It takes a little bit extra oomph, a little bit extra motivation, a little bit of extra juice in your motor to go run around and chase down a quarterback like that. Like, it's annoying. I promise you, defensive coordinators, defensive linemen, they hate doing that. If they don't bring their A game and Talia Tagovailoa kind of gets some momentum rolling, he makes a few plays on the run, gets some belief. Uncle Mo enters the building for Maryland. Like, look out now. Look out. I'm not saying Maryland wins the football game. I'm just saying this is a horrendous spot if you're Penn State having to play them the week before Michigan, and it's going to be a lot of a lot of intrigue on this one because Penn State like we said they're they're a younger team in some spots quarterback going to be a first year starter young guys in the backfield for you a lot of 
A lot of guys that maybe have, have played before, but maybe aren't as used to, you know, situations like this and really key spots like we just mentioned. Let's take it a step further. What if Maryland draws first blood? What if we look up in the first quarter and it's 13-0, Maryland? How do they respond to that? I think we find out a lot about Penn State in this game. Now let's go to the next week. We got week 11. We got Alabama going to Kroger Field. Seeing the KSR boys. They go and play at Kentucky and Alabama is coming off the game against LSU. And LSU, I promise you, I mean, we, we always know what this game is if we're college football fans. We always know what Bama LSU means. High intensity, tons of emotion. I mean, it came down to the very last play last season, a two-point conversion for LSU to walk it off. Like, we know how draining that game can be on a football team. So to play LSU and then have to go on the road and play Kentucky that's going to be a brutal little stretch now. And Bama, last year, I think they'll be better defensively because of reasons we've talked about here. I think the scheme will be better. I think they will have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder as it pertains to proving something defensively. But last year, man, hey, they were not great against dynamic wide receivers. Texas game comes to mind. Tennessee game comes to mind. It's new personnel, but still, how do they look? Because Kentucky, they've got some dynamic wide receivers now. Dane Key, probably one of the best wide receivers that nobody's talking about. Barry and Brown was a freshman All-American for us here at On3. Tavian Robinson said, run that back. Like, they got a cast of characters now, and if you want to double one of them, you leave a little bit less attention on the other. And they've got a guy that can spin it. I mean, I've, I've talked about it a lot on this show. I don't understand why nobody's talking about Devin Leary, but the dude can absolutely play ball. I mean, before he got hurt last season, going into last season, a lot of people were talking about him as a top five quarterback. So there's a recipe there. There is a path there for Kentucky to make this one very, very interesting. If Bama does not play up to their standard, and if they're a little bit lackluster from the week before, it could be very, very intriguing. Also, make sure that we, that we mention this. Uh, Kentucky played Georgia in Lexington last year. Final score was 16-6. to If nothing else, Mark Stoops will have this team ready to roll. So that's definitely a sneaky game and one, again, that you could look at and say, wow, Bama's only up by three in the third quarter. What's going on there? So very, very sneaky game right there. High sneak value, if you will, when it comes to Bama at Kentucky. Now, week 12 is the last one I want to talk about here. We got Oklahoma headed to new Big 12 conference member, BYU. And I don't want to argue about the roster. I'm not telling you Oklahoma is somehow outmatched by, by BYU. But the fact you got to go on the road the week before you play TCU in your regular season finale, if you're Oklahoma, who knows what's at stake in this game? Who knows how much they're walking the tightrope here to get to the Big 12 title? Or who knows what the college football playoff implications are? Who knows? But BYU, you don't want to play them at home, man. The last two years, they are 9-3 and three in Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Okay, they're, for whatever reason... Kalani Sataki's got that group ready to roll when you play them in Provo. And in games like this where the roster does have you outmatched if you're BYU, it just takes one matchup. And Cody Epps was a wide receiver, is a wide receiver for BYU, but he did jump in the transfer portal for a certain period of time. There were a lot of schools now blowing up his cell phone, banging down his door saying, Cody, come play for us. A lot of big-time Power 5 schools, a lot of SEC schools that wanted Cody Epps to play for them last year. They also got Keaton Slovis playing quarterback for BYU. Remember Keaton Slovis? He's well-traveled. He was at USC. Then he was at Pitt. If Oklahoma doesn't figure it out in the secondary, this is going to be a really interesting game because Oklahoma allowed 274 yards passing last year per game. 
They won't have all the matchups will be BYU that they're not probably going to have the matchup on the line of scrimmage or whatever you want to talk about. But if they have this one matchup with the pass game with Keaton Slovis and the secondary with Oklahoma, this will get interesting. This will get interesting. So we'll see what happens there. But again, those are the sneaky games for us at week eight. We got Duke at Florida State. Week 10, we got Penn State at Maryland. Huge, huge look ahead spot for the Nittany Lions. Week 11, you got Bama at Kentucky. Bama going on the road after having just played LSU. Where are they at psyche-wise? Then Oklahoma at BYU. BYU, man, you don't want to play them at home. Who knows what Oklahoma's playing for at that point in time? And they play TCU the next week. A lot of dominoes that are going to fall before we get to those games. But those are the games that I want to make sure we're all on the same page for that you can tell your friends about. Hey, keep an eye on that game. Keep an eye on Duke at Florida State. Keep an eye on Bama at Kentucky as we get into those weeks of the beautiful thing that is the college football season. Thank you again, everybody tuned in live, man. This is an absolute blast having y'all here. Not something we take for granted, being able to talk college football every single day. Shows like this exist because y'all allow it to. We don't get to talk college football year-round if there's not an audience for it. So thank you to y'all that are tuned in live, that are subscribed and watching the show. If you're new, again, welcome. Can't say it too many times. We're so glad to have you here. This is a college football community that y'all have allowed us to cultivate, and we just talk college football. We don't talk the extra stuff that's kind of garbage. We're just talking ball and only ball. So thank you for being locked in with us and being a part of this operation. So like I said, this is a college football community. We, we wouldn't be a, a, we call ourselves the people's college football show here. And we could not accurately say that if we did not involve the people into this show. So if you're tuned into the live show, one, we're going to get to some of y'all's thoughts and questions, concerns after we get off the air, or not after we get off the air, after we get through some of these segments here in that live chat. So make sure you're blowing that up right now. Nick Brake's going to join us here in a few minutes. But if you're watching this show on a clip later on YouTube, we go to my social platforms a fair amount to hear from y'all and to crowdsource, if you will. So I asked the question on Twitter and on Instagram. What are going to be the most surprising headlines we get this college football season? And y'all answered in full force, as you always do with a lot of great ones. So without further ado, let's jump right into this. We got a good one here from Fickle Train, which is a hilarious and elite username. On Twitter, he asked, or rather said, Wisconsin is going to stun undefeated Ohio State and then Wisconsin is also undefeated. They moved to 8-0. And the first feeling I got, if I were to imagine this scenario happening, it would feel a lot like I think Tennessee beating Alabama last year felt. Because Bama's you know, been the standard for a long time in college football. Ohio State has been the standard for a long time in the Big Ten, with the exception of the last two years. Like They're kind of the big kid on the block. And if Wisconsin were to take them down and stay undefeated in this scenario, I don't think it is wildly unlikely it would be surprising for sure i'm not predicting it but i think there's definitely a path there but if wisconsin were to do this it would feel a lot like how tennessee felt last year like okay this whole operation under josh heupel this whole operation in madison wisconsin under luke fickle in his first year we are ahead of schedule to take down the big dog in year one we're ahead of schedule. It would probably also mean that the offense that has been put together under Phil Longo that you brought in to now kind of revitalize that approach, be a little bit more vertical in the pass game, brought in a transfer quarterback in Tanner Mordecai, you brought in multiple transfer portal wide receivers. It means that worked in a big way, and it means Tanner Mordecai is probably just absolutely dealing the pill like it's his job. And he's probably getting some Heisman love if he takes down Ohio State. Now, it's early in the year for sure. It's late October, but even so. 
he's going to get some real, real national buzz if that were to happen. But it also means that the run game that we've known Wisconsin to be, like you think about Wisconsin football, you think about neck rolls, and you think about grunting and hitting other grown men in the trenches. You think about that with, with Wisconsin football. I think that's still very much intact should they beat a team like Ohio State. Because against Ohio State, make no mistake, you will have to earn your deep shots. And what I mean by that is, if you're going to go out there and be one-dimensional and say, Ohio State, we're going to throw the ball 45, 50 times a game. We're going to do that right now in this game. Get ready. I think Ohio State is skilled enough on the back end to be able to play you straight up if you're one-dimensional. But if Braylon Allen gets rolling, who is that grown man that we've talked about a few times on here, if he gets rolling, then that means you have to kind of add more numbers to that box. Maybe you get tired of him getting five, six yards of carry, and then you hit those deep shots. So, Yes, it's a, it's a new era of Wisconsin offensive football, but I promise you, they, they are not out with the old, in with the new. It's, hey, old, stay, you know, stay around. We're going to keep you here. We're also going to have the new, but that old, I think, will complement the new is what I'm trying to tell you. And that defense, too, is not going anywhere. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best player in college football. That's not a quarterback. Some people might say he's the best player in college football, period, and I wouldn't have a very easy time arguing that. If that defense is able to... I don't know if limit him is even the word. Able to make him the only factor or just find a way to win this football game. It would mean that the defense did their job enough against Marvin Harrison Jr., regardless of whatever he puts up in the in the stat sheet. But for Ohio State, if they were to lose this game, you got to really look in the mirror. I mean, what is going on in the secondary if you lose this game? I told you, I think they got to play him straight up. Or they're probably good enough to play straight up. But I mean, a lot of what they did this past offseason was to improve in the secondary through the portal. Jihad Carter, when got him through the portal. Davidson Igmanosum from Ole Miss, they got him through the portal. What are we doing in the secondary? And what issues do we have that are going to be lingering after this game in the secondary that are going to keep us from accomplishing what we want to do? I think you also say, what do we look like offensively? Because we've seen Ohio State a couple of times get into situations that they're just able to score their way out of. I don't know who's playing quarterback for them at this point in time, but I think you really have to look in the mirror if you're Ohio State and you can't find a way to outscore a first-year offense, a first-year system in Madison, Wisconsin, to to get over that one. And I think the biggest frustration for an Ohio State fan, and if you do lose this game, this would be a spot where you let down because you just played Penn State. Ohio State plays Penn State the week before, then they play Wisconsin. And if you were to have a letdown from game to game, what do you look at? You look at the locker room. You look at the leadership. And I think that crowd that is just waiting for a reason to talk down on Ryan Day, that, that crowd that believes that he's not the right guy for the job, you just give them more ammunition. I'm not saying I believe that, but I do think you have to look at the talent that's in-house at Ohio State. They are good enough to beat Wisconsin. If you don't do it, it's because of game plan. It's because of attention to detail. It's because of your approach to the game. It's all the internal things that you don't take care of to lose that game. Now, if Wisconsin wins, Wisconsin wins. But, I mean, it makes that game at Michigan a whole lot more impactful than it already was. And it already was the biggest game on your schedule. I mean, it makes that game for your college football playoff life. And even then, maybe you need some help. So that would definitely be a surprising headline. But, a, a, I mean, it's a, it's a headline that has enormous ripple effects. Now, very important you're following me on Instagram because Jeff Tinks hit me up on Instagram. And his uh, surprising headline is that Auburn wildly exceeds expectations. So to break this one down, we got to first unpack what would wildly exceeding expectations look like. 
The over-under in Las Vegas for their win total in 2023 for Auburn is six and a half wins. Now, most people say the ceiling for Auburn is somewhere around nine wins. Okay, so that's the floor, somewhere around six, six and a half. Ceiling is somewhere around nine. But we're talking about wildly exceeding expectations. We're not taking that phrase lightly. Wildly exceeding means wildly exceeding. It means doing much more than what we thought. So we're going to go ahead and put the number for wildly exceeding expectations from a win total standpoint at 10 wins for Auburn in 2023. I think that would very much so warrant that headline. So what would have to happen for that to be a reality? It's no secret. Hugh Freeze walked into the building that is Auburn football and said, we got to figure this thing out talent-wise. We are not where we need to be. Went to the transfer portal, got over 20 transfers. If they win 10 football games, I think you put their hit rate on those transfers at somewhere around 90 to 95%. It means Justin Rogers from Kentucky making his presence felt. It means Austin Keys from Ole Miss on the defensive line or the edge defender, outside linebacker, whatever you want to call him. He's making his presence felt. And they're doing a lot in the run game to be head and shoulders better than they were last year because they allowed 182 rush yards a game. Folks, that is not going to cut it. And these transfers... If they're able to ratchet that down a good bit and they're able to win 10 games, you would look right at the new pieces and say, y'all did that. Look at the defensive scheme too with Ron Roberts, but you say that was a big piece that we had to get corrected to wildly exceed expectations. So that would have to happen. Going back to the quarterbacks, as it pertains to the transfer portal rather, you can assume it's Peyton Thorne. We're hearing a lot of good things actually about Holden Gurner. You're hearing a lot of good things about Robbie Ashford, actually, too. I think Vegas, actually, there were some lines that had Robbie Ashford as the favorite to start for Auburn. I'm not calling my shot necessarily right now. I think you brought in Peyton Thorne to start. But regardless, if you were to win 10 football games at Auburn, you would have figured out the quarterback position in a very real way. Like, you you found the guy to really get the offense headed the right direction. And some of that feels a little bit common knowledge. Like, yeah, J.D., no, duh. You win 10 football games, you probably got good quarterback play. But the way that Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery are going to run this offense, it is a quarterback-centric offense. Everything goes through the quarterback. It is RPO, run-pass option. You have a decision on a multitude of plays to get us going the right direction and to be able to make this offense succeed. So in short, offense, we're going to go as you go. So for the quarterback to be on his P's and Q's, that would be a very big deal for them to win 10 games. The subplot there is that all of these cats they're working with could come back next year. Like Robbie Ashford could come back another year. Peyton Thorne could come back another year. Holden Gurner could come back another year. So whoever starts for them, if he figures it out and wins 10 football games, the future is extremely bright. And you already feel pretty good about the future right now in Auburn, Alabama. We have to talk about this. And I don't want to unpack it too, too much because it's such a fluid situation. But if Auburn wins 10 football games, the Jarquez Hunter situation probably got figured out. And I don't know what that looks like, and I don't mean to make light of any situation legally, but the Jarquez Hunter situation, there is no way around it. He is probably your best player on your roster, and for how much Auburn's going to lean on the run game this coming season, if you win 10 football games, I have to believe that Jarquez Hunter has a lot of say in that, and I believe he's in your lineup if that were to happen. But to zoom it out a little bit more, if Auburn wins 10 football games, think about who they would have had to beat. It means you won two of these four games. You got Georgia at LSU, Ole Miss, Bama. You go two and two in that stretch? Holy smokes. They're building the statue to Hugh Freeze right now if you go two and two in that stretch, man. What would that do for the recruiting as well? What would that do for what they're what they're doing in terms of trying to get kids to buy the vision at Auburn, to buy the Hugh Freeze pitch at Auburn? 
Number 14 class right now in the 2024 on three industry team recruiting rankings. If they were to win 10 football games and have wins against teams like the teams I just mentioned, I mean, slice it any way you want. Let's say you win the game against LSU and the game against Ole Miss. Like, if you were to win any two of those, that would be a very real example, a very tangible example of where things are at under Hugh Freeze. You can package it up, put it in a box, give it to a recruit and say, this is what you're going to be a part of here. This is what we have right now. It's only year one. Come jump on board. And I promise you that would create rocket fuel for the Auburn Tigers on the recruiting trail. And I have to believe they'd be flirting with a top 10 class come National Signing Day. That's just my feel on it. But again, wildly exceeding expectations in my book would include all those things. And wildly, ex- wildly exceeding expectations would look a lot like 10 wins for Auburn in 2023. Now, another headline we got was from our man Kevin G., Kevin G hit me up on Twitter and he said, Florida State will have a record-setting offense. They'll have a close loss in the regular season against Clemson, but they will get revenge in the conference title game of the ACC. Very important to note now, the ACC, no more divisions. It is Hunger Games, ACC football. Best two teams, run it back at the end of the year. So the very real possibility, I think a lot of people expect us to get Florida State, Clemson at the end of the regular season. The interesting piece to me, the Jenga piece that I'm looking at, is that term record-setting offense. If they have a record-setting offense, that means they probably scored somewhere around 50 a game. The 2013 national title team with Jameis Winston, they scored 51 points a game, so you're somewhere in that neighborhood if you're record-setting. If they have a record-setting offense, I'm just going to go ahead and believe they win every game. Like Joe Burrow and company scored 48 a game. You hear what I'm saying? If you score 50 a game... It is going to be very difficult for me to believe that Florida State loses a football game. So let's play this out, though, because that situation you laid out. If Florida State has a record-setting offense, but they still lose a game to Clemson, what does that say about Clemson? What does that say about what Clemson does the rest of the season? Because I have to believe if Clemson is able to keep pace with an offense that's scoring 50 points a game, the Cade Klubnick and Garrett Riley thing worked in a very real way. And I bet if you beat them in the conference title game, have a hard time believing Clemson's not undefeated in that game. Can you imagine a world with all of the conference realignment nonsense going on right now around the ACC and Clemson and Florida State wanting to leave? If Clemson and Florida State both make the college football playoff as one-loss teams, kind of like what we saw with Ohio State-Michigan last year, except both these teams play for their conference title, I, th- I think the college football world would just detonate. I think the whole thing would just short circuit and cease to exist. But even so, I think that's a very real possibility should that situation play play itself out. Uh, If they have a record-setting offense, there's no way around it for me. I think Florida State's definitely a college football playoff team because I think the defense is going to be really solid as well. So there's a lot of impact there if Florida State and Clemson were to meet in the ACC title game and if they both finish with one loss in the regular season. We'll put a lot of pressure on that committee. We'll make a lot of people feel better about moving to a 12-team college football playoff, even though I'm not a big fan of it. Another video for another time. That would be the impact of that. Last one from Matthew Matthew Buchanan. Hit me up on Twitter. He said, Nebraska is going 4-0, heading into the Michigan game with huge momentum. Now, Matthew, I don't think this is wildly unlikely. It would mean that they went 4-0 against the following. It means they beat Minnesota at Minnesota is probably the, the trickiest game. It means they won the game at Colorado, which I would expect them to be favored in, quite frankly. 
they beat NIU, they beat Louisiana Tech. Depending on how they look, this would mean that the new brand of football that Matt Rule is bringing to Nebraska, it means that that has taken shape in a very real way early. Because last year, Nebraska, just to be real, they lost to teams they should not have lost to. I love Ryan Holitsky at Northwestern. They should not have lost to Northwestern in Ireland. Should have won that football game. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. You should not have lost to Georgia Southern and allowed them to score 42 points on you in that game. Nebraska was losing to teams that they should have beat. If they go 4-0, they will have beat teams they're supposed to beat and also, I think, control the controllables. Because that's been the headache for Nebraska the last couple of years. Special teams errors, penalties, turnovers, like all those things were just really, really bad the last couple of years. If you correct those early, I think that's crucial. I think that's required for them to go 4-0. That game at Minnesota is probably the one that you look most closely at and say, I don't know where things stand in terms of the line or what they look like going into that game or what to make of Minnesota. But I think they should beat Colorado, NIU, and Louisiana Tech. No knock on Coach Prime. I think he's just trying to get things figured out there roster-wise and all the guys that took to the portal. I think they should win all those games. So momentum going into the game against Michigan. I mean, whatever happens against Michigan happens. But if you were to show up in that game 4-0, I'm not saying you beat Michigan. Actually, I'm not even touching that conversation. But you do feel pretty good about your chance to make a bowl game. Because you're 4-0 with eight tries left the rest of the year to get two wins. And what have we said about Nebraska throughout the course of the last couple of years? If they could just get to a bowl game, it would feel like they're headed the right direction. Over-under win total is six in Vegas. There's a feeling right now that if they were to get two wins... After, excuse me, if they were to get six wins, that would be a very good situation as to where things are right now under Matt Rule at Nebraska. Again, it would be a, a statement that things are headed the right way very, very early under his tutelage. All right, now, we're going to keep on rolling here, and let's welcome in Josh Newberg of the Inside Scoop. He sat down with us to break down where things are at with Colin Simmons because Colin Simmons is committing on the On3 YouTube channel this coming Thursday. Lock it in, set your clocks, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it. He's committing this Thursday. It's down to Miami. It's down to Texas. It's down to LSU. Who stands where right now for Colin Simmons? Josh was kind enough to sit down and break it down with us. So without further ado, here is that conversation. Five-star plus edge Colin Simmons out of Duncanville, Texas, is giving his college decision this coming Thursday, 3 Eastern, 2 Central. It's down to Miami, Texas, LSU. So to break it all down, what the latest is as it pertains to this five-star plus edge, bring on national recruiting analyst for us here at On3, host of the Inside Scoop right here on this very channel, Josh Newberg. Josh, how we doing, man? Great to be on the hard count. Good morning, J.D. A lot of commitments these days, man. Commitments are flying left to right. A bunch of them on this very channel. But Miami, Texas, LSU for Colin Simmons. Just give us the broad overview. Where, where do things stand right now for these three as it pertains to Colin Simmons? Man, it is Colin Simmons week. We've been waiting for this for a long time. Colin Simmons at different parts of his recruitment said he was going to take it the distance. Then he insinuated that he wanted to make a decision maybe before the season starts. And now we have a decision day, August 10, with three finalists. You said it, LSU. Texas in Miami. He took unofficial visits to both Texas and LSU a million times in his career, in his three-year career uh, at Duncanville High School. And then Miami got into the picture this offseason. And, you know, he did take an official visit there. But at this point, 
I do just see Miami as more of a hat on the table. And there's been so much discussion about Colin Simmons' recruitment and the teams that are in it. And yes, Miami is in it. And But at other points, you know, Florida Gators were in it heavily. The Oregon Ducks were in it. Texas A&M uh, has gotten him on campus. But for the last two years, I think this is the battle that we've all been waiting for when it comes to Colin Simmons. It's down to two teams. It's LSU versus Texas for the number one edge in America, Colin Simmons, out of Duncanville High School. And we're going to find out here in about uh, two days where he's going to school. And Josh, you asked him at the On3 NL Elite Series event, who's your leader? And then he was pretty straight up. He's like, listen, it's LSU. It's Texas for me right now. And of course, that was back in the late spring, early summer. But when it comes to where he's at right now, the RPM at the beginning of this week is reading Texas. Are you feeling that that's accurate? Is it really just 50-50? I mean, where do you think stand with Texas right now? I think the RPM's lagging a little bit. What I mean by that is uh, Colin Simmons took his final official visit of the summer to Texas. Coming out of that visit on June 23rd, there was a lot of picks in in the Longhorns favor. Jerry Hamilton was one of them. Our guys on the Inside Texas site had a lot of confidence coming out of that visit. And for good reason. I mean, the way it looked, the things Colin was saying, what the insiders were saying, Texas had all the momentum coming out of that visit. Then there's that fine, then the dead period hits. And then there's that final weekend at the end of July when prospects have the ability to go take maybe one or two final visits. And there was an expectation, and, he, and, and I did think that he was going to end up at Texas A&M because I saw Texas A&M was always kind of the outside looking in, and I just figured A&M would enter this battle at some point, and I thought that they would be able to get him on campus at the end of July. Didn't happen. He ends up spending a multi-day trip at LSU. Coming out of Bayou Splash, that's, that's what their big event was called, love the name of it. Coming out of Bayou Splash, he sets his decision date. Now, why would that happen? It, 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 everything just builds up. I'm just doing recruiting math here, connecting the dots, whatever you want to call it. But coming off of that LSU multi-day visit to set a decision date that catches Texas off guard, but all of our LSU insiders knew it was coming, signs now point to LSU for me, at least as we sit here about 48 hours out, I don't agree with the RPM that says Texas is in the in the lead. I think actually LSU could be considered the favorite heading into this. And the RPM machine, or recruiting prediction machine, obviously fluid situation. It started the week on Monday saying Texas, but expect that to probably change as we get closer and closer to the decision, or at the very least have some movement but Josh, I think what you said was very interesting. Kind of the, the Brian Windhorst, if you will. So it's a commitment day after the LSU visit. Now, why is that? Now, why is that? And so for LSU, should they land five-star edge Colin Simmons, what would this mean for Brian Kelly and just the juice that he's created on the recruiting trail for LSU? Man, Brian Kelly is doing an amazing job within the state of Louisiana, landing so far commitments from eight out of the top ten prospects in that state, but then taking it to another level by going into Texas and landing the number one player in that state, the number one edge, the number five overall ranked player, getting him away from Steve Sarkeesian and all the work that they've put in at Duncanville High School for the last two to three years with Colin Simmons would be 
to say it's a statement is an understatement. But to do this to the team, you got to remember, Texas is entering the SEC soon. So this is a message to not only Texas, but the rest of college football. Like, hey, you can come into this league, but the SEC teams are here. We know how to recruit. We've been doing this for years. You want to come battle us, we're going to show you what it means. And to go into the state of Texas and land Colin Simmons would just be it would be a huge statement for Brian Kelly right now at LSU. And he even told us, Josh, we asked him, do you feel pressure to stay in state? Is there kind of that that pull to stay home within the Lone Star State? And he was pretty straight up with us. He's like, yeah, yeah, I do. My family's in my, my family's in state. Like, I have a lot of people here. So if LSU does win this recruiting battle, would obviously be an enormous boost, like you mentioned, for Brian Kelly and company. Last question for you, Josh, before we get you out of here. Who does this commitment mean the most to? Obviously, different levels of impact for Miami, LSU, Texas. Who would this commitment mean the most to should they win the Colin Simmons? sweepstakes well it'll mean the most of the team that lands him but i think texas i think he is a must get for texas because you got to defend your home territory i just said all that talk about entering the sec on the on the reverse side texas wants to make a statement like hey we can recruit with the best of the sec we can recruit like an sec program before we're even an sec program and they are doing that on the trail right now they are winning a ton of battles but this Colin Simmons one is no layup. They have been praying for a pass rusher to step up and be the guy for them in Austin. But Josh, I'm excited to watch this whole thing unfold and see where Colin Simmons ends up going and which hat he picks off the table. Make sure you follow Josh on Twitter. Make sure you subscribe right here to the On3 YouTube channel because Josh is hosting the Inside Scoop multiple times a week. Tons of recruiting intel. Going to want to make sure you're locked in for that one. Josh, thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Yep. Thank you, JD. Again, that's Josh Newberg of the Inside Scoop. All the recruiting intel, all the recruiting latest right here on the On3 YouTube channel. Make sure you're locked in. Make sure you subscribe. Like I already mentioned, we're going to three shows a week. That means Tuesday got the hard count. It means Wednesday got the hard count. It means Thursday got the hard count. Sunday, we're going to have a ton of content for you. Sunday morning, we're getting after it, talking about the day that was. Also, we're in podcasts. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. Wherever you get them, you can find this very show. So make sure you're subscribed. Also would appreciate you if you would download, rate, review all that when it comes to the podcast feed. But thank you in advance for that, man. This has been an incredible, incredible community that y'all have allowed us to cultivate. And we call ourselves the People's College Football Show. Again, you can't do that if you don't involve the people into the show because it is y'all's show. So with that being said, one way we do that around here is we go to the live chat during our live shows another reason to be tuned in live again 11 a.m eastern tuesday wednesday thursday so to break it all down right now let's bring in the man the myth the legend producer of this college football community legatron nick break nick what's going on baby what's up man uh had a weird little lighting glitch if you didn't notice jd it got a little bright on you for a second man it, it, just, it just felt it felt like i was getting uh some good rays there man all, yeah, all is well that ends well brother how are we feeling some, some sunscreen on i'm doing good uh, first question coming from Bobby Bopkins uh, asks what they call a highly important question. Asks what the preseason number one is for the best college game day meal. Ooh, preseason number one best college game day meal. So this this is a hot topic here. There's a, there's a lot of debate here. Some people are going to say pizza. Some people are going to go with dip. Nick, to me, it, there there's one clear answer here, and it's tried and true, and it's been around for a minute here. It's buffalo wings. Like, if you want bone-in or bone-out, doesn't matter to me. No discrimination there. But if you sit down and have Buffalo Wings before your favorite college football team plays, you just feel like you're locked in. You're ready for the moment. Now, typically, we start in the morning. We get we get going to like 8 a.m. for college game day. And 
Me personally, I go right to the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, go spicy chicken, either breakfast burrito or chicken biscuit, a little iced coffee to get the day rolling, and then we're locked in for the rest of the day or we're headed to a game, whatever it ends up being this coming fall. But that's my pre-game day meal. But pre-game meal, I think it's, it's got to be buffalo wings. Nick, what about you? You know, I'm actually kind of get like, I love wings, but I honestly want to say buffalo chicken dip is right now like what I'd say is my number one. Okay, uh, so a little overlap there with the buffalo chicken. I like it. Oh yeah, from the good people down in or up in upstate New York, they know mm. how to they know how to get the game days going, mm. duty with some buffalo food. Uh, Rocky yeah, Top Town uh, always seems to be asking good questions. Lots of potential in Oregon State since they don't play USC this year and have an easier schedule. Can they go undefeated, win the conference, and go to the playoffs? JD, can they? Everybody can. I would be wildly shocked if that were to happen. We had somebody actually on one of our last live shows say Oregon State wins the Pac-12. I could see that. I see a path to that because I think the, the Pac-12 is just going to be absolute gladiator style this coming year. I love their identity with how they're so physical in the trenches, and, and I think they just know who they are. They add an upgrade at quarterback, in my opinion, with DJ Uyungle. I think the kid can sling it. I would be very, very surprised if they were to somehow run the table and go undefeated because they still have to play Washington. They still got to play Oregon. Like they still got to play Utah. I, I don't see a scenario where they just get through the slate undefeated unless there's some other variable we can't foresee right now when it comes to the beef. So I'm not calling it. It's college football. Anything could happen, but that would, that would really surprise me, Nick, if that happened. Okay, JD. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time today. Um, so we're going to go with one more question right beautiful we're good with you that sounds okay phenomenal. um by the way if you didn't ask come back on thursday we've got another live show um we'll get to it then uh but this last question coming from will if graham mertz is in the middle of the pack as an sec quarterback and the d-line is as advertised uh what will florida's record be going in 2023 if graham mertz is serviceable and that defensive line holds their water florida's going to be a bull team like it's brutal in the SEC. You got to have some playmakers step up. But I, I really, there, there is a formula there for Florida to be able to just be good enough to make a bowl game. And I think you would take that this coming season if you're a Florida fan. Over under win total in Vegas is five and a half on the year. Like six wins is is accomplishable. But it's going to take a, an, a, a very substance over flash kind of style for Florida. And we've talked about that on some different one-off videos. But I really believe that last year what Ole Miss did, that blueprint, is something you can follow. And I believe Ole Miss won something like eight ball games last year. Like Ole Miss was, was not a bad football team by any stretch of the imagination, but they rode Quinshawn Judkins. They rode Zach Evans. They weren't dynamic in the past game. They were like, I think almost two to one touchdown interception ratio was Jackson Dart. They were good enough on defense and they ran the ball well. They controlled the clock. They controlled the tempo of the game. For, for Florida, it is all about controlling the tempo because they're going to play some teams now that can score points quick, fast, in a hurry. Tennessee being one of them. They're probably going to score over 40 a game again, you would imagine, with Josh Heupel running the show over there. So it's going to be about controlling the game and making it Florida-style of game. If they can do that, I could see six wins. So we'll see what happens there, but there's definitely a formula there for, for mm-hmm. Florida to be able to get there. Nick, appreciate you, man. We'll do this again Thursday. Dude, can can I get to one more? Please. One more question. Please. Okay, I lied. Briley asked a really good one, so I wanted to ask this. Let's do it. Okay, through four weeks— if Georgia's 4-0, and I know you don't like the AP poll, um, but this is an intriguing question. If Georgia's 4-0 with wins against UT Martin, Ball State, uh, Scar, and UAB, and FSU is 4-0 with, with wins against LSU, Southern Miss, Boston College, and Clemson, who's the number one? Man, that's a very good question. 
I just have a difficult time seeing Georgia being dropped from where they are preseason. I think Georgia's still number one, to be real. And that's not to knock Florida State. It's not, I'm not even saying it's the way that it should go. I think that's the way it would turn out. Now, when we get to the college football playoff rankings, that's something that I would really watch for to see how the committee weights that. I think if you are to go college football playoff rankings, I think Florida State would be ahead of Georgia in that scenario. But through four weeks in the season, what we know about Georgia, especially how they look early in the year, I expect them to be dominant and just yeah. put on a clinic. So I think Georgia still won, but very, very curious to see what it looks like uh, when we get to the college football playoff rankings, Nick. Great anyone, question. I'm glad we got to that, man. Has ever called South Carolina SCAR before? I, I, I've I seen of, the abbreviation, I like yeah. I, I know you probably say it out, but man, that's got a nice ring to it. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, but J.D., I'll see you Thursday, man. Nick, heavy lifter break. Hey, big kickball game tomorrow. Wish we talked about that when we were on the air. Big kickball game tomorrow as Nick goes for 700 batting average on the year. I'm telling you, man. Love him or hate him, you watched. That's all you could do when Nick Break is on the diamond. Appreciate y'all being tuned in live. And like I said, this is a college football community that y'all have allowed us to cultivate. This coming Thursday, it is very important that we get everybody in here and we're all locked in live together because we are making our 2023 season predictions. Since we ended last year, a lot of people have been asking, hey, who's going to win the national title? Who's going to win the SEC? Who's winning the ACC? Well, Thursday, we call our shot, and we tell you who's winning what conference, who's winning the national title, who's making the playoff. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're right back here on Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern, on this very thing that is the On3 YouTube channel, and we're going to be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the week after. So lock it in. No more time to miss shows. The time is now. College football is back in a very, very real way, and we're grateful for you all to be here and to celebrate it along with us. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.